master. I am most impressed to see you have survived your injuries. I used your training, master, and I have built all this in hopes of returning to your side. Hmm. How unfortunate that you are attempting to deceive me. Master? You have become a rival! It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, using Duchess Satina's bait, Darth Maul lures Obi-Wan Kenobi into a trap. All the while, Maul's return to power has sent ripples through the Force, bringing an unexpected player onto the field, none other than the Sith Master himself, Darth Sidious. Hey, tubes, it's your old buddy Bucho, a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship, a Clone Wars veteran on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars. He's the Bo-Katan to my Obi-Wan. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. And we are going to talk about the 104th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology, written by Chris Collins, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. It's Season 5, Episode 16, The Lawless. So, Robbie, let's roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about what I imagine has always been a very memorable episode for a multitude of reasons. Before you rewatch it again this latest time. All the reasons. Yeah, there's... Man, so much happens this is another one of those episodes where you kind of feel like it could have been maybe two episodes because so much goes down when you start when you sometimes when you break down some of these episodes you're kind of like well they went to this place and that's really the episode and then you have episodes like this when you know multiple big characters see their end you know battles like crazy crazy battles and i mean it's so it's so good i mean palpatine gets into the mix I, I, there's just so much. There's so much that poor Satine. Ah, it's just, uh, it's just a great. And then all the revelations, you know, you know, Bo-Katan being uh, Satine's sister. I mean, so much. It, it, you've got so much to think about after this episode. It feels almost like a season finale or something. It's so huge and so packed with incident and packed with, I guess, revelation. And of course, it opens with one of the smoothest prison breaks i've ever seen and it's led by young corky although he's a slightly older young corky these days than when we first encountered him in the academy and with corky is bo katan who seems to have some kind of a past with satine at this point well i, I was going to say we don't know she is satine's sister but you already knew i didn't know at this point but there's a hint that there's some sort of past and then we get this jetpacks versus speeders chase which has a very odd feel to it because i feel like whenever we've seen a cityscape of that domed Mandalorian capital of Sundari in the past. It has streaming airborne traffic, just like Coruscant. And the similar chases that we've seen in the past, 
have taken place on Coruscant, and they have always involved that extra dynamic of whoever's involved in the action scene. They have to deal with not only whoever they are running from or fighting, they have to deal with chasing and fighting through sky traffic. So there's something really odd about the feel of this chase with zero traffic around, and I guess it's just because whatever changes Maul has made and Almec has made, I don't know, has he grounded all of the sky cars or something? It's just very weird, the feel of that whole thing. And speaking of things that are odd, I also noticed that the red Death Watch dude who knocked Corky out before they recaptured Satine had some kind of approximation of Zabrak horns on his Mandalorian helmet, Robbie. Yeah, there's so many details in this episode that it's hard to keep track. I mean, basically we've had, I guess, Maul's version of Death Watch, I guess you could say, or faction of Death Watch. Maybe it should be called Darth Watch. I don't know if he's technically a Darth anymore, but... Yeah, I mean, I I just feel like it was very helpful for everybody to get their color scheme on point so that it's easier (laughs) for us to uh, know who's the bad guys. Yeah, I definitely appreciated that. And there's something still messed up about the way that Corky looks to me. He's just he's just an awkward looking yeah. I guess design. I don't know. There's something weird about him. Well all of those kids did because his friends from the Academy are there as well and they look like weird sort of dolls or something. They look like mannequins or something. All all three of them. It's it's very odd. It's yeah. But yeah, I didn't even notice the Zabrak horns on the armor. There's so much happening in this episode that it's hard. I mean, it's almost like you feel like you need to watch it four or five times yeah. just to get all the detail because there's there's a lot of it. Well, one of those details, Robbie, it's that Obi-Wan arrives on the Twilight, yeah. <laughs> a shift that I've always enjoyed and you've always shrugged at. And the poor old Twilight is in terrible, <laughs> terrible shape. It's smoking and sparking and poor old Obi-Wan seems like he's just relieved that it even held together long enough to get him to Sundari. And so on the one hand... It's cool to see the Twilight again. On the other hand, when he asked Anakin to borrow it and told Anakin Satine is in danger, wouldn't you think Anakin would have tried to get him a better ship? Yeah, you're going to go on this mission to try and save Satine's life. Here's a ship that might not even make it there. (laughs) Thanks, Anakin. You're a real good pal. But it leads to this fun comedic moment when the ramp hydraulics are messed up and the ramp won't drop fully. And one of the dock guards tells Obi-Wan that he needs to get his ship looked at. And when Obi-Wan begins to reply that it's actually his friend's ship, Obi-Wan is leaning on that ramp. And then it finally drops and Obi-Wan stumbles comedically. And it's just a one of the few light moments in what's a pretty dark episode overall. Yeah. And then, of course, we get a tribute scene to that scene from A New Hope when... Our heroes take out TK421 and his buddy and steal their armor. And then we get another tribute scene. And this time it's a tribute scene to the opening scene of this very episode in which Satine was busted out of prison pretty easily because again, we see her busted out of the same prison and again, she's busted out really easily. And I had to double check and make sure I hadn't accidentally skipped back to the start of the episode, Robbie. Yeah, and it's uh, it almost makes you think that you know, sort of like uh, you know, you can say, oh, well, the, you know, their their security is really lax, but then you could say, well, maybe the stormtroopers are are faulty because they let uh, let they let the Millennium Falcon go from the Death Star, but there was a reason. Maybe Maul did that on purpose. No, sure. I mean, it's not even the ease so much that I'm commenting on. It was just that it felt repetitive. And I mean, what you were saying in the sort of introduction to the episode about how it felt like this could have been two episodes. This one actually felt padded to me because Corky's breakout at the time. It's interesting to watch. But by the end of the episode, there's actually effectively three prison breakouts. And I'm thinking, couldn't you have taken out one of those and maybe given more time to, you know, last episode feeling way too rushed? And I don't know. This is one of those things where I'm questioning something that I can't change. And so I should just move on from it because it will be frustrating otherwise. But 
Yeah, it just felt so repetitive and so deja vu. The same prison break pretty much about seven minutes after the first one. But of course, they make it back to the good old Twilight and this is definitely a new thing. This is not something that happened after Corky broke out, Satine. Here we get Anakin's faithful old G9 Rigger class light freighter and they get it into the air only to be shot down in what is actually a really, really great crash scene. Probably the best crash scene in the show so far and a show which does crash scenes awesomely and here the twilight goes into a terrifying spin and it's an increasing spin it's sort of whirring up and as its single remaining engine no longer has the other engine on the other side to counter the torque that it's producing and once again the sound design is gold here yep. you get a rising whine of the engine pitch and we get these concussive punches of these multiple explosions and this deep dying whirring after the explosions happen as the poor old twilight goes down that's just a ben burt star warsy sound to the core and that's pretty much all that's left of that ship as she falls out of the sky it's just top-notch work from all involved here i watched this crash about six times just over and over everything about it from the animation the sound design it was just a beautiful crash which might be an odd thing to say but man how really good at crashes in this show by now are we oh yeah i mean it's kind of funny if you watch something if you watch this episode and then you go back and watch something from say the first half of the first season and you see the difference in the animation the fire effects that's one of the things that i noticed in this there's it's almost got that same, was it rhodium? Yeah, right. The rhodinium? Rhodinium or something, yeah. I can't remember the, in the last episode, it's got a rainbow kind of look to it. Like it's, it's just awesome looking. I mean, stuff like that and the, the smoke, the particle effects, it's gorgeous. Like you said, it's it's almost like that, you know, kind of what I said a couple episodes ago, where it was like beautiful violence. It's so well done. You can tell they're pulling out all the stops now. And of course, that is the moment that things go from bad to worse for Obi-Wan. And they're only going to get even worse than worse because Maul tries to use Obi-Wan's feelings for Satine to try to get Obi-Wan to break into anger and to embrace hatred and to reach out to the dark side. But Obi-Wan won't. Instead, Obi-Wan shows something like sympathy for Maul. For the man who killed his master, for the man who has only hatred for him, Obi-Wan tells Maul that he's been to Maul's village and that he knows that the choice to embrace the dark side wasn't Maul's. That the choice was made for Maul by the Night Sisters. But it's too late to reach whatever good Maul might have had in him. So Maul mortally wounds Satine, the Duchess of Mandalore. Mortally wounds her with the Dark Saber of Mandalore, no less. And Satine tells Obi that she's always loved him and that she always will. And Anna Graves. He's always been aces as Satine is just in top-notch form here. And then Satine, the Duchess of Mandalore, dies while Maul sits on the throne of Mandalore, on her throne. So she's been killed with the Dark Saber of Mandalore. And the man who killed her, the Zabrak who killed her, is sitting on her throne. And then he watches Obi-Wan Kenobi suffer. And again, just as they did with Lux's grief at Steeler's death on Onderon, the animators absolutely nail their performance of Obi-Wan's grief. But your heart just goes out to him so hard. His grief at the loss of Satine. And I couldn't help thinking at that moment, as if the show hasn't already put Obi-Wan through enough the last couple of seasons, Robbie. He's been through the ringer. They've beat him up. They've tortured him. You know, in the slave arc he goes through, heck. This is, does Dave Filoni just not like your boy Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robbie? No, I think it's because he likes Obi-Wan so much that he puts him through some of this stuff. I mean, of course there's, for Obi-Wan, there's, a lot more to come in his life, right? A lot more 
sadness and grief and and all that stuff and it's the one thing that this I, I don't know if it was like a meme or whatever it was but it was like it was like can we just stop for a moment and just take a look at the purest Jedi that's ever been yeah I mean the way he reaches out with sort of sympathy in that moment I don't know if it's sympathy or maybe it's it's not quite mercy because it also made me think of how when we first meet Maul again he's saying they didn't show me mercy the Jedi's didn't show me mercy and the Sith didn't show me mercy he's crying out that he didn't get shown mercy and it's almost I don't think it quite read as mercy it read more as sympathy and maybe it was even a strategic thing from everyone you know that's his training he's keeping down his emotion and he's saying reach out to him instead of battering up against him it's pity it's one of those things where you know at least for me from a force point of view you know the living force whatever you want to call it that point of view it really is a sadness and a pity as to what might have been but it's again it's like with obi-wan it's there's a lot of people that they gravitate toward the ones with the the arcs you know the ones that go through you know hell and back and they're changed but there's also something to be said about the pure the ones that are faced with the absolute bottomless depths you know what i mean just i mean Think about what Obi-Wan goes through. Right. You know, he sees his entire order destroyed. He sees his student, who he looks at like a brother, turn to the dark side. He sees what could be the love of his life, which is probably most likely the only love of his life, killed right in front of him, and she dies in his arms. I mean, do I need to go on? And he'd never turn to the dark side. He never once even took a step into the dark side. I guess the closest he would have come is when is when he fought Maul the first time. But you got to look at a character like that and just, I don't know. I, I mean, I understand why people gravitate towards those that are conflicted and, and damaged and all that kind of stuff. But there's something to be said about a character that goes through so much and never falters. And that's one of the things that I love about Obi-Wan. You can kind of see now, I mean, I guess this episode doesn't need any more proof that Obi-Wan's awesome. But, you know, a lot of people that haven't watched The Clone Wars, they might wonder why Obi-Wan is, you know, someone's favorite. You see what they go through in The Clone Wars, and it's just like, man, Obi-Wan's awesome. And there's something just that's wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful to have a character that is pure. I mean, I get why people may not, but yeah, Obi-Wan's the man. Yeah, he says, you can kill me, but you cannot destroy me. And it reminded me, Listening to you just now actually reminded me of Rocky Balboa. It ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Yeah. And the Clone Wars <laughs> keeps hitting Obi-Wan Kenobi, man. And he keeps moving forward. And also moving forward, well, let's just say we cut the Coruscant. We cut the Chancellor Palpatine standing at that massive window of his. And we cut to a close-up shot on his face. And it holds for quite a long time. And I'm half expecting at that moment that trademark Palpatine smirk as if he feels a disturbance in the force, perhaps caused by his former apprentice's murder of Satine, perhaps caused by Obi-Wan's immense anguish, maybe both, but he doesn't smile. He just holds that pensive, serious look and Mazameda comes in and he just tells Mazameda to ready his ship. At which point we cut back to Obi-Wan and he's being led to the same prison that he just busted Satine out of. So that's when we get essentially the third prison break scene of the episode. And we're still only 14 minutes into the story at this point. And this prison break is another super spectacular piece of work from the animators. 
and it's led by Bo-Katan and I was recently told to keep an eye on Bo-Katan by our friend Hope from J Guys and Jedi and over the last couple of episodes and especially here in this moment I've started maybe I've just started to understand why because she's moved out from being this supporting character this background character to starting to take a lead here in these last couple of episodes and this is an awesome action scene and it's all thanks to Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan doesn't only bust out some of the meanest kung fu moves that we've ever seen in the entire run of the show so far. She busts out some of that top-notch Mandalorian gadget fighting, that Batman fighting that I sometimes like to call it Robbie. <laughs> using her cables, using her wrist blade, just laying waste to this guard detail that had been transporting Obi-Wan before introducing herself to Obi-Wan and returning Obi-Wan's lightsaber to him. And Obi-Wan already seems remarkably upbeat by this point, as we see when Bo-Katan tells him that she's there to rescue him. Obi-Wan flashes a little bit of that good old Obi-Wan smile and delivers a chip up. Sounds good to me. And so he really kind of has that whole Jedi's don't have attachments thing down, I guess. He's not moping around feeling sorry for himself once he gets rescued. Yeah, and it it's tough because I get why people don't like the idea of the Force having almost like a will of itself. <laughs> or when you say people you mean me right Robbie well I mean no, I know you mean people but I'm one of those people I mean I can't remember if we've talked about it on the show but I'm not a fan of that but you carry on I just want to make that clear sir yeah and there's the whole idea of you know when Yoda says in episode 3 rid yourself of or I can't remember exactly what he says but it's something like rid yourself of all that you fear to lose or something like that you know detach yourself and there's something very inhuman about that and I understand that but at the same time, there's work to be done. And when there's work to be done, in many ways, you do have to detach yourself to get things done. Sure. So when I see Obi-Wan minutes after the love of his life is murdered in front of him, kind of, you know, saying, well, I'm a quick learner, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's how I take it. And it doesn't feel super strange to me. I mean, it, it's strange from a, because I'm not a Jedi and I'm, <laughs> I, I do get attached, but it's, that's how I read that. It's interesting, though, that he's he's not just, oh, my God, you know what I mean? Just down on his knees the whole episode, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's Obi-Wan. Because you can imagine Anakin, for example, facing the same thing and not being anywhere near as stoic about it and not recovering anywhere near as quickly. Right. And that's when Palpatine lands on Sundari, hooded up. Looking all Sithy and stuff. Ominous Sith choir music filling the soundtrack. Dealing out the Sith chokes, making those Death Watch guards wish that they had stayed in bed that morning. And then we see Maul's shock as he feels through the Force that his former master has arrived on Mandalore. And then we see Maul shortly afterward bowing down to his former master. And that's just fun to see. This sudden change in Maul as soon as his former master comes on the scene, he's like a new person again. I mean, this whole thing's a roller coaster. In some ways, this whole arc's a roller coaster for Maul, too. And then we see some Sith on Sith crime, Robbie. Some red lightsabers versus red lightsabers. Palpatine as City is throwing down. And we've talked so many times about how Palpatine gets in these situations all the way back to at least as far as the Zillow Beast and about how we know what he's capable of but he's always holding back. And here, he gets to unleash. And it's pretty much as awesome as I could have wanted it to be. And there's so many moments. The one that I made a particular note of is there's a moment where Savage kind of bum rushes Palpatine, and Palpatine gets bowled off this balcony. And while he's in midair, flying through the air, he reaches back and force grabs both of the brothers. And then he force pulls both of them off the balcony with him. <laughs> and they land on the courtyard below, and each of the three of them are in some kind of hero pose. And the whole thing is just so 
so fun. And then eventually we see Maul get tossed aside by Palpatine and Savage engages the old man alone. And at that moment, we know that it's going to be over for Savage. It's just one of those moves. That's just how fight storytelling works. And poor old Savage takes two red blades through the guts and then is tossed away to die with that green death mirroring magic spurting out of his midsection. And then Maul goes at Palpatine again. And then Palpatine reminds Maul who's the boss. And it's not even close, really. I mean, Maul has little moments here and there, but it's almost like Vader versus Luke in Empire Strikes Back, where, you know, it's less of a fight and more of someone basically getting beaten down. And maybe this is part of the central theme of this arc. I think it was in a previous episode that I brought up my main man Qui-Gon's famous line about how there's always a bigger fish. And this time, it's Maul learning the hard way that getting too big for your britches when Palpatine's around, that's not a road you want to go down. Yeah, I mean... It's so much fun seeing Palpatine use not one, but two lightsabers. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, is, I mean, even Dave Filoni brings it up that that Savage does better against Palpatine than the Jedi Council does. Yeah. Save Windu. See, to me, it's like this. I get why people would say, you know, well, the Clone Wars, it's a cartoon. It's a side story. It's not really. See, to me, this is as important as just about anything in the movies. I love it so much that it's tough when people say that you know it's like when people say you know oh, i don't have time for that i get it but at the same time i feel like if you're a star wars fan this is where it's at i mean when's the last time you saw sidious use two lightsabers in a movie never i mean there's so many things that happen it's just so good there's weight to it you feel the weight of it especially when satine dies and you and you see obi-wan go through what he goes through it's top-notch Star Wars. And to hear that he has actual plans for Maul at this point, that he's not even worthy of being an apprentice, but he's got plans for him, how can you not be excited? Yeah, it's a very intriguing finish to the episode, and that's why it feels like a season finale. It's not, of course. We've still got a whole other arc to go before we get to the end of season five, but it feels so much like a season finale, which makes me super excited to see what they actually chose for this season finale. I mean, if there's something more epic than this coming, I'm in for a treat. And speaking of what might be coming, Bo-Katan survives the episode. I mean, in an episode where we have several major characters go out and in which pre died recently as well, Bo-Katan survives. And before, Bo-Katan sends Obi-Wan on his way with a message to inform the Republic Senate about what's happened on Mandalore. There's a reveal, maybe a slightly awkward reveal, that Bo-Katan is Satine's sister. And it feels almost like an afterthought, although I guess it's there for the audience more than anything to keep us wanting to see more of Bo-Katan because just the way it played, like I said, it was almost like an afterthought, but it was interesting to find out and definitely made me think back to all the other Bo-Katan moments that I've seen, you know, and putting that into a sort of context where they both want the best for Mandalore, but they both have very different ideas about how it should be done. Yeah, I mean, it does, especially the where and when it happens, it does kind of feel like that, I guess, like an afterthought or, you know, it's not necessarily a revelation to any either one of the characters i mean that's something that you've taught me i have yeah when there's a revelation but it means nothing to the characters it's only for the audience that that's not really a revelation yeah right you know what i mean and it's that's one of the things that especially thinking about story and thinking about characters and and things like that that's important when a revelation means something to the characters is when it has the most impact because you're learning it alongside the character but at the same time, it is important, I think, at this point to point that out, especially since, you know, at least for uh, a, a bit, this is sort of like a, 
almost a finale. I'm not giving anything away here. This is almost a finale in a way for the Mandalorians in Clone Wars, at least okay. up to this point. So it is important for this to be mentioned here. I get what you're saying, though. It almost feels shooed in at the end. Yeah, I guess you make a choice when you're telling the story at that point that you could have her say, and Kenobi, thanks for what you tried to do for my sister. And then it's a revelation to Obi-Wan and it has more emotional impact. But I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that this episode does well. I don't want to dwell on this point. In fact, speaking of things that this episode does well, Robbie, what was your standout shot of The Lawless? I honestly am... Find one, Robbie, because there's a million in this episode you could choose. How are you going to choose just one? For me, I honestly don't see how you couldn't pick this one. I mean, there's a lot of standout shots. I mean, the crash and and all. I mean, there's so much. There's so much. But my standout shot is Obi-Wan silhouetted against the battle as those doors open. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's just something magical. I mean, it's almost like... It's like almost like Star Wars at its best right there. I just love it. I love it so much. In fact, it's one of those that every now and then I'll see a screenshot of that online and I'm like, oh, God, it's so beautiful. It's beautiful. So, yeah, that's my shot of the episode on that one. I've got a lot more, though. There's there's a lot of amazing shots. Yeah, that's one of the standout shots, not just of the episode, but of the whole series, like you say. And it's kind of funny because everyone almost seems like he's lost and bewildered. He's just standing center of the shot. His lightsaber is drawn and ignited, but it's just hanging uselessly by his side, and he's kind of looking around, and it's almost as if Obi-Wan Kenobi, this guy who's seen pretty much everything in the galaxy, he comes through this door, and even Obi-Wan Kenobi is looking at that going, what is going on here? Because he, he's standing there for an extended period of time before Bo-Katan sort of reaches him and kind of snaps him out of it. But yeah, that is a heck of a shot, and it's a shot that is tilting into an increasing Dutch angle as it holds. I mean, I don't know if you noted that, Robbie, but speaking (laughs) of Dutch angles, after the twilight goes down, when Obi-Wan's looking up through the smoke to see who's approaching, and he sees those Death Watch guards through the smoke, and then he sees Maul through the smoke, and Obi-Wan's dazed at this point. He's off-kilter emotionally. He's thinking, no, it can't be. In fact, he's saying, no, it can't be, is it? And so, of course, he sees that reveal and that approach of Maul in a classic Dutch angle. And then there's another great Dutch angle later as the hooded Palpatine disembarks from his ship at Sundari. And the other shot that I was, and this is not a Dutch angle shot, but the other one that I was considering was Obi-Wan cradling Duchess Satine. A shot we see against the backdrop of those throne room windows bathed in that haze of diffused white light. And so it's kind of similar to my favorite shot from the previous episode in some ways, because that was also a shot against not the same windows, but against those windows. And that's my shot of the episode, that moment when Obi-Wan is that maybe the lowest point that he's been since Qui-Gon Jinn was taken out by Darth Maul. Now Darth Maul has taken out the, I guess, the love of his life. And so, yeah, that's why that shot means the most to me from this episode. But do you have any others that you've got there, Obi? Yeah. Noted down? Just a couple of notes. I thought it was really kind of funny when Obi-Wan's got Satine on the back of that speeder and they come to a stop, they kind of skid to a stop and there's a screech sound. Which I think is kind of funny since <laughs> it's a speeder that's kind of lifted up. It's just something that made me kind of laugh a little bit. That's your sound moment of the episode. Your yeah. sound design moment of the episode. <laughs> it was just kind of funny. I love how at the uh, at the very beginning when uh, Corky and Bo-Katan break out Satine, the Mandos that follow. I say Mandos like it's, you know. Sure. Anyway, the way that they fall off the building and then... It almost feels like the camera is uneasy about doing it. Right. You know, about making that jump. It's just a cool shot and the way that it kind of 
took off. I just really, really like that shot. I also like the shot, well, basically the whole Twilight spinning and exploding, you know, of course we talked about that. That's awesome. And then a Bo-Katan with all of her, like you said, the Batman moves. Those were some of my favorite shots until, I mean, I was writing them all down, you know, because it was kind of like, man, that was cool. Man, that was cool. Man, that was cool. And then Obi-Wan, I forgot that that was in this episode. It almost feels like a video game scene, right? Yeah. Because he's standing there almost like a video game character. It's like your character has just come through this door and is seeing something crazy go off. It's just amazing looking. But then there's one more. And that is the shot of poor Savage. Right. The magic is gone. He's back to his normal self. You almost feel something. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he's never been a character that's really grabbed me. But when you think about his journey, he was a guy that just wanted to look after his brother. And then, you know, the Night Sisters got a hold of him. And ever since, he hasn't been the happiest dude, you know. I mean, he finds his other brother and they go on a bit of a ride for a while. But this is the moment when he realizes that ride's over. Yeah. And he was never really up to the challenge. Yeah. It's sad, man. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I guess that glimpse of the, you know, pre-Magic Savage. You kind of think back to that episode when, you know, Ventress is looking for him. It's like you kind of remember that, yeah, he was looking after his brother there too. And it was just, uh, it's a tragic story for him. It sure is, Robbie. And before we bring this one in for a landing, we need to sum up and give our ratings. So after your latest watch of The Lawless, how did you like him? Where does The Lawless sit on that four-star Robbie scale? To me, it's one of those that's packed with so much Star Wars goodness and awesomeness that it's hard to not give it a four out of four but i'm gonna give it a 3.75 out of four and the reason i'm doing that is because i feel like it's so packed it's almost packed to the brim with stuff just like the previous episode it almost feels like too much has happened and i almost wish that there was a little time to breathe not just for us but for the characters as well so almost perfect 3.75 out of four i mean i think that's i think that's all right yeah, I've already detailed the little, few issues that I had with the episode, Robbie, and I've also detailed all of the great stuff, so I'm not going to spend too much time summing it up. I'm just going to say I have the Lawless at a very solid eight Mandalorian prison breaks out of ten, which is only five more than we actually get in this episode. And that is mission accomplished for season five, episode 16, The Lawless. So, Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell me that an eight is way too low for an episode in which Palpatine ignites the red and throws down against his former apprentice, how can they reach us? Well, we are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 105th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology, Season 5, Episode 17, Robbie. Look where we are. We're at episode 17 of season 5. Did you ever think this time was going to come? Yes, I did. I'm not sure that I did. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, troops, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we salute Satine, the Duchess of Mandalore. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing this show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. The force will be with you.